Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks. And I'm Jen O'Neill. And this is a podcast about all of the dumb things that people will do for love. So welcome to episode 150. It's a nice, solid number. Do you want to know what else it is, Jen? Is it our anniversary? It's our three-year anniversary. Is it really? Holy shit. Oh, yes. my God. Wow. Exactly. We posted our first episode on June 20th, 2019. And wow. And now. Still doing it. Still doing For it. For some Who weird reason. <laughs> You can't shake me. <laughs> well, happy anniversary. Happy anniversary to You've you. You've been sitting on this information like all week. I've talked to you a thousand times this week. <laughs> I just figured saved it, it for out. the podcast. <laughs> well, when I was like typing in the number of like what episode it was, I was like, oh, I bet we're about at three years. Looked back through our episodes and sure enough, it's the to the day. Wow. I know. Look at us. This is, we should celebrate. We should celebrate. I'm up for it. Okay. <laughs> I'm always up for celebrating. You know I am. We'll just lock the kids in the closet. Yeah. Let's go do have it. some drinks. Uh, we did celebrate your birthday this weekend, which was super fun. We did. It was fun. We had a good time. We went yeah. to this really great restaurant. Thank you, by the way. It was called Rumi's Kitchen, yeah. um, which was like Persian food, which is like always delicious. Uh, so good. Every, uh, every bite was delicious. Yeah, it was so good. And then we we walked around and we were going to go. We, we all pussed out. We were going to yeah. go to this like really cheesy <laughs> dance place called Johnny's Hideaway here in Atlanta. I've been dying to go. I just I've want been someone to go. Yeah. to go with me. It's cheesy. It's stupid. It's funny. I just want to go and have a fun, good time. Here's what I think we have I to do. I want to dance. We, have to, we have to go. I just want to dance. That's all I want. <laughs> I think we just have to say, yes, we're going and that there's no like, maybe we'll end up there. Like it has to be like this night. We're going. We're going with uh, this is the reason we're going out. Because I think we went to like an early dinner and then we were kind of like, are we going to stay out late enough <laughs> to go? And we were all like, I don't know. I guess I could. And like literally, it's like when when somebody expressed doubt, everybody was like, I mean, I am really tired. I worked all day. And <laughs> yeah, we had worked just- all day. It was hot. I was out in the heat all day long for work. I'm still getting over being sick. So yeah. it was like it crumbled. I it crumbled right away. We ate I like was- so much. Yeah. <laughs> there was not now. But we had um, a great time. But if anybody wants to go. Yes. If you live Johnny's in Atlanta. Hideaway. Ooh, maybe we could have a dumb love meetup at Johnny's Hideaway. That would oh be Oh, my God. Amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Okay. I'm okay, going to posit this question on uh, Instagram. So if you are interested, uh, you're listening to this, it's probably Tuesday. Uh, maybe I'll put it up on Wednesday. So let us know. And if you say yes, then you are a committed <laughs> You yeah. have to come and you have to dance like nobody is watching. Yes. And love like nobody we'll, is looking. We'll be I don't watching. Know. We'll, oh, we'll, we'll be, be watching and judging. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But that's uh, the fun part. That's the fun part. Um, okay. Well, let's get into our quickies. Let's do it. All right. I'm first this week. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, okay, I got my information from the Lad Bible. 
uh, by Dominic Smithers. And this is about, okay, you know how like we've been doing some catfish stories and every time we're like, just do the reverse image Google search. That's the first thing you should do before you meet someone in person. You should just do it, right? Can I tell you something? Yes, please. I don't know how to do that. Oh, Jen. I should really learn. Like, I need these skills now, right? Now I that know. I'm, like, you're single, out there in the dating these. room. I know. I need I need to learn how to reverse – you know me and computers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to send you a tutorial after this because, okay. yes, you need that. Um, okay. So this woman named Jocelyn from Ontario, Canada, she matched with this handsome guy on Bumble. His name was Miles. They started exchanging a few messages, but she is like somebody who's dated a lot. And so she's like, look, I I will message with you like a couple times, but then let's meet up and see if we actually have chemistry before mm-hmm. we're like spend weeks messaging, you know? Right. I'm sure that it, like that happens a lot where guys just want they all they want to do is message. They don't actually want to like meet in person for whatever reason. And so she was just like, look, let's make plans. And so he was like, great, let's go out to dinner. So they swapped phone numbers so that he could text her to make plans. So she gets a text message from him, um, which was just normal. Hey, how are you doing? Let's make plans. Although he, of course, wasn't actually trying to make plans. He just was like kind of skirting around it like, hey, what's up? How are you doing today? Right. Um, and But the text messages were coming in and they were green. So she has an iPhone. And the only reason she thought it was weird was because in his pictures, he has an Apple Watch. So she was like... That seems weird. He should also his his text should be coming in blue because if it's a iMessage, wow. if it's Apple Watch app or Apple to Apple, it should be a blue message instead of a green, which just means it's coming from an Android phone. So she's like, I'm gonna do a reverse image Google search. And so she did. And sure enough, on her TikTok, she said, um, she was just like, shows the picture of the guy. She was like, it's an Instagram model from New York. Uh, and his name is Ron, not Miles. He lives in New York, not Ontario, where this guy said he had. I didn't know you could do that on Bumble. I thought they verify your picture. Somebody verifies you. I guess. I don't know. I guess yeah. that's something I need to look for, I guess. I mean, I think it also like, I mean, who knows? I'm sure there's lots of ways around it. Anyway, so she was like, yeah. thank goodness I like barely spoke to this guy. Like I had invested Hardly any time. So, but Mm -hmm. I, like, she was like, I didn't even say, I know you're catfishing me. She just was like, yep, see ya. Like, she blocked him and that was it. She made this TikTok. She was like, if you're talking to this guy, it's probably not this guy. (laughs) It's probably not this hot guy. It's some other, some other person. She said, stay woke, ladies. Stay alert. Catfishes are everywhere. So, anyway, that's just another warning to do a reverse Google image search. I guess I got before you meet someone. You, you got to start doing it. Do it. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea. I had no idea. Well, I mean, I know that there are catfishes out there. I'm just saying, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. I I thought that Bumble makes you do this whole like verification thing, and they verify that you are who you say you are. So I didn't know that that was a possibility, but I guess it is. I guess it is. People be a way to be find a way to be sneaky <laughs> all the yep. time. Yeah, be careful out there. I know. So be a good detective, Jen. If you're going to claim to be a good detective. I know. Yeah. I know. I really can't claim to be a good detective. But I'm like, wait, what's a reverse Google image? (laughs) I'm like one of those old school detectives. Yeah. You're like a noir detective. Yeah. (laughs) Just like, hey, doll. (laughs) I just smoke cigars in my office. 
Put your feet up. Wear a fedora. <laughs> yeah. <Leave me> alone. <laughs> you got dames coming in. They're looking for help. They're in distress. Exactly. <laughs> I um, use like a magnifying glass. What do you want? <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> nothing. I want nothing more. Good. I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> um, but I do have a quickie. All right. My quickie this week came from an article for daily.com, um, and it was written by Rebecca Harding. So we we went through a phase where we were having a lot of, um, like, poisoning stories. Yeah. You know, like people poisoning mm-hmm. each other. So we really haven't had one of those in a while. Yeah. So, um, but apparently this, uh, but apparently today- people are still poisoning each other? <laughs> people are still poisoning each other. But if, even unknowingly poisoning, poisoning each other. A TikToker named- at Frowny Freckles um, posted on April 27th a TikTok telling everybody that her partner had been unknowingly poisoning her with a tea that they had been preparing for her every single day. Now, the tea was meant to be a nice tea. The Let me make you some okay. tea. It was an elderflower tea. But apparently, the tea had been giving her like terrible – she says um, – it gave her terrible migraines and she fell asleep every time she drank it, which sounds like an awesome tea. Right. <laughs> I was I like, want isn't that tea? That's what yeah, like sleepy time what... tea is supposed to do, right? Exactly what I want. Yeah. Um, and but apparently elderflowers, they have to be boiled first. And if they're not, they contain cyanide. Oh. I guess um her partner had been getting elderflowers from somewhere. I'm not yeah. sure. Like, I didn't know. I don't know where you get them from in the States, but I think that they live in another country. Okay. Um, at Frowny Freckles explained in the caption um, that if you – improper preparation of elderflowers can lead to cyanide poisoning due to certain parts of the plant that produce um, cyanide naturally. She actually said, I find it very romantic. It was elderflower <laughs> tea, by the way, and they didn't know you have to boil the flowers first. So she actually found that it was – uh, romantic that her uh, partner had been making her this tea and poisoning her. Um, she actually <laughs> said they felt really bad, but I was just like, this is a really cool, tragic lo- lesbian love story ending. It's the most romantic <laughs> thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> that's just because the tea made you fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because that's pretty romantic to me. Give me a uh-huh. tea that puts me to bed. Oh, I'll stay with you forever. I don't drink it. I don't care if there's cyanide <laughs> in it. Right? Just a little bit. It's fine. <laughs> a bunch of other TikTokers went on there and commented that they don't think that the cyanide uh, that the cyanide was coming from the flowers. So one person wrote, the cyanide is in the, in the stem, so just the flowers should be safe for ingestion for future tea dates. This other person, um, herbalist, chimed in and said, herbalist here, the flowers themselves shouldn't contain cyanide-inducing glycosides but the buds and stems do so who's to say like you know i think maybe she wanted it to be a nice romantic love story about her partner poisoning her (laughs) and uh which led to a viral tiktok that now has over like 1.1 million views Uh but i don't know that she was actually getting poisoned maybe she was just having a a sleepy time tea she's just a sleepy she was just a sleepy gal yeah (laughs) (laughs) um i mean look jen i will poison you if that will make us go viral thank you that could be our lesbian love story yeah that's beautiful (laughs) (laughs) thanks for poisoning me you're welcome anytime um well i love it look at us you know a couple of cool gals getting tiktok stories (laughs) yeah 
Hey, Jen. Hey, Sally. Are you ready for a wild story? I am. Ooh, I got a good one. Um, I got my information from Wikipedia, from a series of articles in The Northern Echo by Hannah Chapman, from a BBC article by Danny Savage, and from Cosmo UK by Jennifer Savin. Okay. So. Look at um, all these sources. I know. Look at me. Just so we many. Are. <laughs> I'm, I'm also a journalist. Um <laughs> So I think maybe you can tell from my sources that we're going across the pond today. Oh, to lovely. The UK. On December 1st, 2007, a man walked into a police station in London and told the officer at the desk, I think I am a missing person. He told police that his name was John Darwin. He was able to tell them his date of birth and other personal details, but he said that he had no idea where he had been for the last seven years. So police in London were shocked by this tanned and like mostly relaxed, well-fed looking stranger, but they looked him up and sure enough, four years earlier on March 21st, 2002, a man named John Darwin, who was a 51-year-old former teacher and a current prison officer, had gone out on a canoe trip and never returned to his home at Seton Carew, which is a small coastal town near Middlesbrough in Northern England. So John had worked the night shift uh, in the prison. And when his wife, Anne, had called to check on him, as she did every night, John's supervisor had told Anne that he hadn't shown up for work. So at 9.30 that night, five hours after he went out into the water, John was reported missing. There was a massive search involving police and Coast Guard officers. Um, They scoured the coastline. They went all up and down the coast. By the time it was called, like the search was called off Friday evening, All that was found was a single paddle just up the coast from their house. Anne and John's eldest son, Mark, arrived from London in the morning and said that his mom flung her arms around me. She said, he's gone, I think. I've lost him. And that she wouldn't stop crying for ages. Mark then had to call his younger brother, Anthony, who lived in Canada. He said, I dialed the number, but I couldn't speak to him. I had to hand the phone to my auntie. I couldn't summon up the words to tell him my dad had gone missing. So six weeks later, John's canoe was found in pieces at North Gare, which is like a pier that's up the coast. Six months after that, Anne reluctantly agreed uh, to release her first press statement through the police. She said, when he went missing, I stayed up all night. I didn't go to bed for days. It was a nightmare and it's still going on. I feel very much in limbo. I've gone back to work to try to get some normality in my life, but it's just there 24 hours a day. The view from my window is a daily reminder. This was to be the house of our dreams, and I just have to go look out and not dwell on the tragedy. John loved the sea. From being a small boy, he loved the beach. People die, have a funeral, they have a headstone. There is something to mark the fact that they existed on this earth. But without a body, I don't know how we can mark John's life. All I want to do is bury his body. It would enable me to move on. But they didn't find a body. And a year later, on April 10th, 2003, after an inquest into his death, John Darwin was officially declared dead. So, of course, everyone was shocked when a man claiming to be John then walked into the London police station in 2007. Anne actually moved out of the country. So John's sons, Mark and Anthony, who are now both living in London, were contacted. They rushed to the station and they confirmed that, yes, this man was their father. They had this emotional reunion. And three days later, later, on December 4th, 2007, his sons talked to the press and told them that John truly couldn't remember anything since 
since the year 2000, since the year 2000, (laughs) (laughs) and that he had no idea where he had been all these years. Uh, The boys told police that their mom had just moved to Panama and was called and told that her long lost dead husband was actually alive. She told reporters that she was thrilled um, and that she was going to come home immediately. She was looking forward to seeing him as soon as she could get back to England. Did he know who he was? Like, did he He, know who his sons were when he was reunited with him? Yes, he could like tell them his name. He could tell he could tell them everything up until seven years ago. He was like, so he knew his sons. He knew his wife. He just didn't know where he had been. Wow. So so Anne's on her way home. The boys are so excited to have found their father. There, there's this beautiful family reunion, but then everything started to unravel. Because it turned out that even before John walked into the police station, that UK police had actually started to suspect that John Darwin was not dead and that he and his wife, Anne, had actually concocted his death in order to get an insurance payout. Oh, my God. Yeah. So not only did they suspect that John wasn't dead and that Anne knew, but they suspected that he had actually been living with Anne The whole time. Oh, my God. So here is what actually happened. Uh, John and Anne Darwin have been married since 1973. John had taught science and math for 18 years before he became a prison officer. Anne was a receptionist at a doctor's office, but they also ran together a business renting bedsits. They owned 12 homes in the area of Durham. Um, and basically, like they they rented out rooms in these various houses they owned. In 2000, they bought two houses in Seton Carew, which is the seaside town where they hoped to retire. And these were like big, beautiful houses right on right on the shore. So the purchases actually put the cu- couple into very deep debt. And by 2002, they were almost 700,000 pounds in debt. They had, you know, way overspent. They were living this lavish lifestyle that they couldn't afford. John drove this brand new Range Rover. They lived in a seven-bedroom house on the ocean. And although they were renting out the house next door and they had these other properties, they just – it was not enough to, like, keep up with their spending. So about three months before he went missing, John started talking about how he would be better off dead than alive because of his insurance policies. And um, he started pushing the idea to Anne of faking his death so that she could collect the life insurance policies and pay off their debts. So she agreed. And the day of his disappearance, John took his canoe down to the beach in front of their house at about 4.30 p.m., at 6.30, Anne left work and met John near a remote pier that was down the beach from their house. It was dark. He was wearing all black, and he was carrying a bag with a few items that he would need to disappear for a while. So he pushed the canoe out to the sea and got into Anne's car. She drove him 40 minutes away to the Durham railway station and told Anne to call the prison as soon as she got home and asked to speak to him as if everything was normal. So she called the prison. They told him, Oh, he never showed up. So then at 9.30 at night, she called the police and told them John hasn't shown up for work and his canoe was gone. I don't know where he is. He went out to sea. So then she called her sons and told them that their father was missing. So while the, like his family was grieving, John was actually just staying in one of the couple's empty bedsits in Durham. And Anne was the only one who knew that John wasn't actually oh lost at sea. Oh, my God. Wow. Yeah. So while the family – like. 
all of his family and her family, their kids were all at their house comforting Anne. John is like calling her every other, like every hour to find out if their grieving sons had left to go back to their homes so that John could come back. And Anne told the police he was getting desperate. He phoned me and gave me directions to where he was. I didn't want to go and pick him up, but I couldn't leave him. At one point, he was literally crying on the telephone. So within a month of his disappearance, John was back living in Seton Carew with Anne. And they had actually bought, they bought two houses, right, on the shore. So, and they were adjoining and they had found out that there was a secret passageway hidden behind an attic wardrobe that connected the two houses. So when John came back, he would live with Anne most of the time. And then whenever, whenever anyone came over, he would go through the passage over to this one room in their bedsit that they didn't run out. And so, and he actually like concreted over the floorboards in the passage so that it wouldn't creak to like give him away because uh-huh. they were still renting out the rest of that house to other people. He like grew out a big beard and he started walking with a limp to disguise himself. Like Kaiser Sose. He Kaiser Sose'd it 100%. And he actually didn't hide away that often. He would regularly like limp down the beach and then he he joined the library in April. Wow. Only a month after he was lost at sea. This was like the local small town library. And so he, he joined the library because he started spending his time trying to find a new identity. So he found the name of a person who had been born in the same year that he had, but had died very young, John Jones. And so he used that name to register at the library and he began borrowing books. And then he used John Jones to get a birth certificate. He then used the birth certificate as well as like he got a picture of himself with his big beard to get a passport. Nobody suspected that he was dead, like that he had faked his death, but he was doing so many things that were so, I mean, it was just so apparent. Like he used the couple's home address to get the passport. Oh my God. A guy named John who looks just like John (laughs) is looking for a passport at their address. Um, But Anne, meanwhile is busy getting John declared dead so that she could get as- get access to the life insurance, of course. So uh-huh. she went to the coroner's office less than three weeks after his disappearance. And then once the canoe was found, which was about a month later, she applied to have an inquest to be held into his death, which is basically the thing that has to happen before he can be declared dead. So then finally on April 10th, 2003, about a year after he went missing, she finally got the death certificate and she used it to claim his 25,000 pound life insurance policy, his 25,000 pound teacher's pension, his uh, prison service pension, and then payouts from other pensions. And then I think another 137,000 pounds from a mortgage insurance policy. Um, It was about 250,000 pounds total. And then also, of course, he's dead. And so the debts that he had without her were wiped clean. So with that money, she was able to pay off her debts. And by now their properties were making more money. All of her debt was gone. Um, And so apparently at this time, even though, you know, it's like so classic, like she was like hounding the insurance policy to get things moving. She was really trying to get him declared dead very quickly. At this time, the banks, the police, and even their sons all fully believed that John was dead and had no reason to suspect otherwise. 
even though there, in a few times in 2003, John was spotted. A person he worked with at the prison saw him and actually contacted the police. And then when they asked Anne about it, she was like, oh, no, he has a cousin that looks just like John. He always gets gets oh, uh. mistaken for him. And they were just like, okay. Also, there was a guy that was living in the bed set in like the house next to them that they rented out where John was like coming in and out of. And recognized him from the news and was like, aren't you supposed to be dead? And John just was like, don't tell anyone about this. And then the guy just didn't tell anyone. So that was like, wow. Yeah. But by now, almost a year into this, John is getting bored, right? So he starts spending all of his time on the internet. He's playing an interactive role-playing game called Arson's Call. And on that role-playing game, he met this woman named Kelly Steele who was a 40-something-year-old woman who lived in Kansas City. And so he started communicating her with her by email and then by internet telephone, and he would use headphones so that Anne didn't hear him. And then he ended up transferring uh, about 30,000 pounds to Kelly, and then using the passport in the name of John Jones, he flew out to Kansas City to meet her, and he was just told Anne, like, oh, I need a break. He, of course, he wasn't didn't say he was going to meet a woman. But Kelly used that money to buy a 10-acre farm south of Kansas City on John's behalf. Basically, I guess the idea was that for them to live there together. But once they met in person, the relationship completely, you know, didn't last. And so soon John was back with Anne, having lost 30,000 pounds on the whole thing. And she just oh, took geez. him back. In 2004, John and Anne were like, look, we... We need to move abroad. Like he can't keep living in like a room and sneaking around. So they ended up, they went to Cyprus, but they couldn't find any property they liked. In 2005, they were like, let's just live on a boat and we'll sail around the world. But then they were like, oh, we actually don't want to live on the boat. <laughs> um, and then in 2006, like John, he had spent all his, all day, every day on the internet researching plans to live abroad. And he finally decided by 2006 that they should move to Panama. So in July, they went there to look for properties, and that was when they met this property guide, um, a man named Mario Villar. Um, as they're like looking around, he takes out a, pic a camera to take a picture for his website, which is called Move to Panama. And they, you know, they generally, of course, shied away from pictures, but they didn't feel like they could protest without arousing suspicion. And they're like, what could it hurt? This is in Panama. So mm -hmm. he posted it to his website, and he listed their names as Anne and John Jones. So they came back to England. They decided they were going to move to Panama. They started like selling their property and transferring money into offshore bank accounts and into Panam Panamanian bank accounts. Anne told her two sons that she was going to permanently move to Central America. She was like, it's a nice, hot Catholic country. But and her although sons at this point still do not know that she is living with their dad. No, they they this, this whole so time crazy and, like, and I can't both of them doing that to your children, to your children, and also one of his dad's neighbors said that his dad, I mean, his dad was like ninety years old, and that he would just sit and look out at the ocean and be oh, like, "My God. son's out there." Oh, that's just heartbreaking, isn't it? Heartbreaking. Yes. So in March of two thousand seven. They returned to Panama to buy their property. They bought a two-bedroom apartment in Panama City, and then they also bought a 194-acre estate um, on a lake. And then Anne went back to Britain while John stayed in Panama to tie up loose ends and to formally quit, quit her job. 
But while she was still at work, a colleague at the doctor's office became so suspicious because she was on the phone all the time with what sounded like talking to her husband, <laughs> like, oh, what are we going to do in Panama? Okay, buy this, whatever. Um, and she's calling him John and she's just like not being slick about it at all. Mm-hmm. So that colleague ended up calling the police. Oh, wow. So yeah, so this call to the police as well as like they're the like sudden the like laziest criminals. They're the laziest criminals. And oh yet, and God. then they're just like, but they're like this older, like very late look boring looking couple. So I don't think anybody thought they had it in them, you know? Yeah. The phone call from the colleague, as well as like Anne selling all their property all of a sudden and moving to Panama prompted the police to get a secret order from a judge to investigate Anne's finances. They actually had decided that they would build, ironically, a canoe adventure center on the land that they had bought in Panama. But when Anne got back to Panama, John suddenly announced that he wanted to go home. Apparently, he had been living in Panama on a tourist visa, but Panama had decided it was changing its regulations. So in order to continue to stay there, he was going to have to get his identity confirmed by the UK government um, in order to stay. And he knew he couldn't because he had a false identity. Right. So according to John, so that's why he was like, we have to go back. Um, According to John, he also wanted to come back to be reunited with his sons, but who knows what's the truth. So after all that planning to get to Panama, selling everything they had in December of 2007, John concocted a plan where he would go back to the UK and tell police he had amnesia and they had no idea what had happened. But he didn't know that police had already opened a case and had their suspicions about him. So a few days after he came back, when the news broke that he was this guy had come back from the dead, some smart person in the Daily Mail had the great idea to Google Anne, John, Panama. Oh my God. And the picture that was taken of them that was posted on that property website was the first thing that popped up. And that was taken in 2006, a year before he came back. So it proved that John and Anne were in on the scheme together and that he knew exactly where he had been, right? Yeah. Um, So on December 5th, 2007, four days after coming back to the UK, John Darwin was arrested and charged with obtaining money by deception and using false information to claim a passport. And Darwin returned to the UK on December 9th, 2007, and she was arrested at the airport as she arrived. John pled guilty in March 2008, but Anne claimed she was innocent, saying she was under John's spell the whole time. Basically, he was controlling her. And so she went to trial. Like this woman, like way to throw every family member under the bus one at a time. Oh, 100%. It's like right? your children, your father-in-law, your and now this guy, like, you know, the person that you've been yes. in on this with and your husband this whole time. And you're like, no, it's it's his fault. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not that he wasn't responsible. I mean, obviously, they're just as responsible as each other. But she was also the one who was keeping up the front to everyone else. She was the one, like, keeping the lie going. Um, She was eventually found guilty also of helping John fake his disappearance. They were both sentenced to six years in prison. And their sons, Mark and Anthony, had to testify at the trial Um, And at the time of their arrest, they said they no longer wanted to have any contact with either of their parents. Mark described Anne as a hideous lying bitch who had (laughs) gone to outrageous lengths to con us. 
While Anthony said of his parents, they're as bad as each other. Dad told one nasty lie and disappeared and said he was dead, but she lied for six years. She was the face of the lies. She kept on lying even when the evidence was so overwhelmingly against her. She dragged us through hell by forcing a court case. So they served their time. John and Anne were both released from prison in 2011. Partway through their prison stint, John and Anne separated, and then Anne, and Anne asked for a divorce. John is now 71 years old. He went back to meeting women on the internet, and he eventually moved to the Philippines and married a woman named Mercy May. Um, according to the Daily Mail, Mercy said, I know what he did. He knows, and he paid this penalty. He doesn't need to be reminded. It's thought that Anne actually reunited with her sons, that they are back talking to each other. During her time in prison, she uh, wrote a book called Out of My Depth and has since like spoken publicly about the scam on various occasions, saying she was controlled by her husband throughout. Um, she lives back in Middlesbrough, close to where they lived when this all happened. In 2022, the UK channel ITV released a four-part drama based on the whole thing called The Thief, His Wife, and The Canoe. And I cannot wait to watch it. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Let me know when it comes out because I want to watch it. Yeah. Wow. Um, so anyway, isn't that a nuts story? It really is. And I just can't help but I keep thinking about those sons and like – I know. What a fucking like mind fuck and betrayal that is. And uh, Like can you imagine just you like – get over that. Yes. You're sitting there. You're like – your mom is grieving and crying because your father has lost at sea. And she, the whole time, she knows he's like sitting 40 minutes away and he's calling her being like, when are those kids going to leave so I can come home? Oh, my God. Ah, I can't imagine how beautiful. Yeah. I know. Crazy. 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 Are you ready for a love story? I'm ready. Good. You actually sent this one to me. <laughs> You're welcome. I Happy hope you birthday. didn't read the article. I didn't. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. I know. I was uh, like stressed out because I couldn't. You guys, love stories are hard to find. I hate to say that. There's way more like crazy stories than there are love stories. And, yes. Um. So I was panicking because I, I hadn't found anything. And this is this. That's what's a true love story is that Sally gave me hers. For next did. week. That is <laughs> real love. Right? True love. Yes. So thank you. You're welcome. Um, so as you may know, Sally, this article came from <laughs> uh, – the story came from an article for the Washington Post. Uh, it's written by Sydney Page. During the Korean War in 1953, Dwayne Mann, who was a 22-year-old sailor from Iowa, was stationed in Japan. He worked at nights at um, as a mechanic and sergeant at arms, they said, in his off hours at this military officers club, which was kind of like where they would listen to uh, – where like sailors would hang out and listen to live music and dance and stuff, you know, yeah. to blow off some steam. It was when he was working there that he met a young lady named Peggy Yamaguchi. Um, she was actually – she worked in the hat check room, and Peggy actually took English lessons, so she was able to help translate conversations between um, sailors and the locals. Um, okay. And so that's how they met, but it was one night after they had both gotten off work when the, a live band was playing at the club, and um, they started to dance. This is why I want to go to Johnny's Hideaway. 
Right? It's all about dance. So anyway, so uh, <laughs> they started to dance. And as Dwayne told the Washington Post, he said, and my word, this girl could really dance. Oh, so they, en- they ended up dancing all night long. Uh, but then they just started meeting daily after hours at this club, you know, after they were working. And then they would be the only ones left at the club dancing. They said to songs by Elvis Presley and Tony Bennett. Um, Dwayne said that people would just stand and watch us holding her in my arms. I just kept falling deeper and deeper. So they became madly in love and they spent an entire year together. But then uh, sadly, their um, romance had to come to a halt when the Navy ended up sending Dwayne back to the United States sooner than they had expected. Yeah. Um, Apparently the Korean War was over in order to save money. They started sending sailors back home early. At the time, Peggy, who was 22 years old at the time as well, was actually pregnant with their child. Oh. I know. And he had to leave. And so- Did he know? Yes. Um, yeah. So they were having a baby together and he knew. And so they came up with this plan. What they were going to do is that Dwayne was going to go back to Iowa and he was going to collect the money that he, he had actually been saving money in a bank account in Iowa, which he had put in his father's name just in case he had been killed in the war. He, oh, okay. he put the money in his dad's name. And then the plan was he was going to go back to Iowa, get the money, and then um, use that money to bring Peggy to the United States. And then they would raise their family together. Like he fully intended, he wanted to marry her and spend the rest of his life with her. But unfortunately, when he got back to his hometown of Pigsaw, Iowa, he sadly discovered that his dad had spent all of his savings. <gasps> oh, how heartbreaking. I, I know. Again, with the parents Ugh. and the betrayal. Ugh, it Ugh. just kills me. I know. And so um, that is so, so sad. He said, every bit of it. If I would have known that I didn't have any money, I would have never gone home. Yeah. So, because now here he is in Iowa, and this is in 1954, you know, it's not easy to get back and forth or to talk on the phone. And so they um, struggled to find a solution. So, what they did was they just wrote letters to each other. And then Dwayne ended up taking a job at a highway construction company. Um, apparently, it was the highest paying job that he could find. He was trying just rapidly to save money as fast as he could to get her over there. But so with a month of them writing back and forth, all of a sudden he stopped getting letters from Peggy and he couldn't understand why, which unfortunately he later learned that his mom had been intercepting the letters (gasps) and burning them because he didn't want her to marry a Japanese girl. I know. Again, the parents. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) (laughs) Which was yesterday, by the way. Uh, But I don't – it's just like – it just breaks my heart for this man and and for her. And so – Yes. But apparently his sister had – was able to sneak him one last letter from Peggy a few months later when it came in. And Peggy had written him a letter that she had lost the baby and that she had remarried or or married, I would say. Jen, what the F, man? I'm so sorry. (laughs) I know. She married a member of the U.S. Air Force that was stationed there from Wisconsin. And, of course, um, he was just absolutely devastated. Yeah. Um, Not only was he devastated, but he felt so much guilt. Like, he said that he felt guilt for seven years decades he held on to this guilt because he was worried that she thought that he abandoned her yeah and he didn't you know it was just that he wasn't getting the letters and he, he wanted to be with her but you know the communication had broken down and so um 
he like he went on with his life all the while like never forgetting about her ever right um so but he had um he's had two successful produce businesses he actually married two times and he had six children but all the while Peggy never left his mind. And so to this day, he has kept two photos of her in his wallet this whole time. Oh, my gosh. I know. And so he tried to track her down over the years, but never had any luck. He said that he just wanted her to know that he would never have abandoned her. And so then um, in a last ditch effort to find her, he ended up posting something on Facebook on this May, on May 1st of a photo that he had taken of her and then wrote the whole story um, of saying what happened and how he wanted to find her. And so of course, like friends, internet sleuths, like everybody came like just all jumped in and was like, we're going to help you find this girl, this woman, (laughs) you know? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So, um, so that's when one woman, 23 year old woman named Teresa Wong saw the story and she said that she couldn't get it off of her mind. She actually works for the history channel. Um, and she said, Dwayne has clearly been looking for closure for seven decades. I can't imagine how that must weigh on a person. And so she decided to join in on the search and with, um, she had her name and the names of all of the relatives. She said that she was able to put it together very quickly. She actually um, Googled Peggy Yamaguchi on newspapers.com, or I guess, I'm sorry, I shouldn't use Google as a verb. She typed in uh, <laughs> Peggy Yamaguchi on newspapers.com in the search, trying to find like maybe a marriage announcement or something. Yeah. But she ended up finding an article that said, Tokyo Bride Likes Life in Escanaba. And so she said that it seemed to line up with everything. She reached out to KETV7, a television station, and they had helped her find Peggy's married name and address in Michigan to go on, apparently. And they okay. were so they were able to f- contact um, Peggy's son, whose name is Rich Sedenquist. Um, so Rich, who's 66 years old, um, oh, right. was actually like completely didn't know what was going on. She had never heard of this person. Like she didn't know who Dwayne was. Um, but when he showed his n- now 91 year old mother, Peggy Yamaguchi Sedenquist, uh, old photos of Dwayne, um, she remembered him. She said that she had mostly suppressed memories of him. But then suddenly um, she said once she saw the pictures she said the dancing felt like yesterday and she (gasps) remembered him as nice looking tall and very honest and so when she learned that he had been looking for her this whole time she said she was really surprised she had throughout the years raised three sons and she's actually still married to the same husband that she married in 1955 and she still lives with him um so but when they asked her you know if she had any resentment towards Dwayne, she said um, that she didn't have any at all she said you know it was hard but given that it was the military when he had to go he had to go and so um now that Dwayne knew that she was alive he just had to meet her in person and so his oldest son brian mann who's 63 years old joined him on uh, the journey to go see her. So Brian um, and his siblings said that they had always heard stories about their dad's long lost love. And they always like wanted to help him find her, but they were so happy that he finally did. So they drove down the father, like Dwayne and his son drove down together 14 hours from Iowa to Michigan to meet her on June 1st. And the son was said that he was asking him like, do you think she'll let me hug her? 
And Aww. so I know the second he saw Peggy, he said that his um, worries completely subsided. She got up and gave, he said, she got up, gave me a hug, and I got lots of kisses on the cheek, which is so sweet. Oh. And then the first thing that Peggy said to Dwayne was, do you remember the dancing? Oh, and then, my gosh. I know. So then, and this is crazy, she told him that she ended up naming her oldest son, gave him the middle name Dwayne. <gasps> Isn't that so sweet? <laughs> I'm like emotional. It's so sweet. I know. So like oh. she named her son after him. And oh so, my um, gosh. I know. And he said that was a real thrill. And so um, anyway, so they met and it was a really special experience. And he made sure to tell her that he... Ne- Hold on. He made sure to tell her that he never abandoned her. And that's so oh, my heart, my heart. Okay, so anyway, um, and so um, the children, both Rich and Brian, were both there, and they both like her son and his son, and they said it was just such a wonderful experience, and that they all loved meeting each other, and that they all think that um, uh, you know everybody's so great, and the families are so great. Um, and um, Dwayne said, I'm at peace with it now, now that he finally had a chance to explain things to her. But he said, I would love to dance with her again just one more time. Oh, <laughs> my so God. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm just emotional this week. But it's, um, yeah, isn't that just the sweetest story? Ugh, it's so sweet. I know. Thank you for finding it. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. So, you know. Oh, uh, man. It's an emotional week. I'm told by my friend Angela, who's very witchy, that there's something going on with the moons, and that's why everybody is very emotional this week. Oh. You know, it could be that. It could be COVID. It could be just the story. Yeah. (laughs) You know, there's so many things. (laughs) So it is. I believe Um, Angela. Yeah. It's the moons. It's the moons. It's the moons. It's always the moons. Uh, well, that's beautiful, and I love it so much. And uh, I have seen the picture of them, and so it makes it even, even more wonderful because they're, of course, the cutest. So sweet. So sweet. Well, that's amazing. All right. Well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Let's do it. Okay. So something dumb is I think I told you this that Matt we went to uh, pick Max up at summer camp on Friday. He was at. Uh, at a camp that he loved. It was so great. He went to art camp and was like so cute and so excited about Aww. it. But this woman was just saying to her kid, she the kid was asking like, oh, can we go for ice cream? And the mom was like, no, you know, we're going to like have a lot of treats this week because uh, a Father's Day. And then I just both looked at each other like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> I totally forgot about Father's Day, but luckily uh, Ben also forgot. So <laughs> he was like not too, not too pressed about it. Um, I mean, I forgot about it then. I remembered. And then I like scheduled with you to uh, to record on Father's Day. Oh, <laughs> I yeah. Like, oh, wait. I was like, I'm sorry. I can't. Like, uh, just could not remember it. But I think it's because our anniversary is like so it's like the week always the week before. Yeah. So you know, it's like I I, I just so get much all celebrating. It's too much to celebrate. Yeah. I can't. But uh but Ben does be celebrated because he's a great dad. Um and my dad's a great dad, and all your dads are great dads and dads all around. Happy Father's Day to you guys. Yes. Happy um Father's Day. so that's what I love. 
all you dads. I love your dads. <laughs> I love dads. Dads are great. So for my something dumb this week, it's just um, I remember like you saying this when you had COVID um, that like it just took forever for you to get your energy back. Yeah, and that's it was a good. It was like a full two weeks before I was like, oh, I find I didn't realize it, but I was like, when I finally got past it, it was like such a switch, you know. Yeah, you'll get there. Yeah, I know. It was funny because on Sun Saturday afternoon, um, uh, some friends took me out for brunch for a belated birthday thing, and uh, my sister in law was there too, and I, I um. I guess like I didn't even realize I had done it, but on three separate occasions I had said, you know, but I'm like exhausted. But I didn't mean it like I'm exhausted, like as I'm tired today. I just meant like I don't have the energy for that, or, or yeah, yeah, I can't yeah. even. Yeah. I can't even think about that right now. I don't have the energy, and so and then at one point she was like, I think you're really tired, Jen. I think you need to go home and lay down. I was like, you know what? I think I do. I really just need it now. She's like, you've said you're tired three times. Um, but yeah, I'm just um, still trying to get back my energy and uh, yeah, yeah. It's just it's funny how you don't balance back as quickly when you're when you're 29 years old. It's just weird how like you know, 29 right? year olds don't bounce back <laughs> as quickly as 18 year olds do. Anyway, so crazy. Um, so that's dumb. But something that I love, I just wanted to say, Happy Father's Day to everyone, and also Happy Pride Month. Yeah, to everyone, and happy Juneteenth, everybody. Happy That's Juneteenth. today. I know. I'm yeah, excited for it to be celebrated and um, for it to be way more recognized this year. You know yeah. what I mean? And um, yeah. So, a happy Juneteenth to everyone. Happy Pride. Happy Father's Day. Happy celebrations to everyone. Happy um, celebrations. Happy celebrations. <laughs> <laughs> and happy anniversary to us. Oh, yeah. And that's yeah. too. Happy anniversary to us. Lots of things to celebrate. So much to I celebrate. just need a little more pep in my step to Yep. Jen's going to get some pep in her step. Yeah. We're all going to go to Johnny's Hideaway. If you don't live in Atlanta, you can travel to Atlanta. Yeah. We'll take you. Uh, and we'll all go dancing. It's going to be great. Let's do We're it. Celebrate all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, get in touch. First, let us know if you want to go dancing. Second, we're on all the socials. We're at dumb love podcast you can find our website is dumb love podcast if you want to get merch we have happy town merch we have dumb love merch you can email us at dumblovepod at gmail.com you can rate and review the podcast that would be awesome and you can tell a friend that would be so nice that would be so nice consider that our anniversary present <laughs> thank you guys for everything thanks for uh talking to us on all the platforms we love hearing from you and um don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love dumb, dumb, dumb.